BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hi, I'm Paco Romain. And I'm George Chen. And you're listening to SupDoc, a show where we talk to interesting people with strong opinions about their favorite documentaries. On today's episode, we discuss the 2002 documentary, The Kid Stays in the Picture by Brett Morgan. This doc traces a meteoric rise, fall, and rise again of legendary Hollywood producer Robert Evans, based on his memoir of the same name. And we caught up with comedian, musician, and filmmaker Henry Phillips. George, does Henry love this movie? You bet your ass he did. We're here with the very funny comedian, actor, producer, writer, yeah, uh, Henry Phillips. Hello, guys. Did, did I, you say musician also? Oh, did I not say musician? Um, you might not have, but yeah. uh, it's become less and less a part of my life, though. Well, you're a great musician as, as the well. years go by. By the way, this is a quick technical thing. You can hear me, right? <laughs> I just want to make sure. Yep. Okay, check. Smooth, check, check, buttery, test, one, buttery, two. yeah. I just, uh, you know, we're about to talk about a passionate subject, and I don't want to have to Amen. do it again afterwards. Yeah. But I probably could. Take two. You know, <laughs> no take twos in this business, Henry. Yeah. Um, happy birthday. Thank you. Happy birthday. Thank you, guys. Yeah. Happy yeah. birthday. I would sing, George and I would sing happy birthday to but you. But you're the musician. Mm-hmm. So. But you're the musician. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Plus, we'd have to pay. Oh, wait, you don't have to pay the royalties anymore. That's it's right. public domain. That's right. Finally. Who owned that? Uh, so, uh, Mildred something yeah. or other And they used it as a soap commercial jingle And everybody just thought they could steal it But it was a real copyrighted piece oh, wow. of music mm-hmm. when, when people would pay The rights to use Happy Birthday To whom did they pay? Who got I the money? Her. Mildred Pierce I think was her name Well she's dead so it's her grandkids yeah. And it's I guess publishing It's BMI or ASCAP or, whatever, oh, I or Harry see. Fox or something I wonder how much money they made on Happy Birthday That's oh, why every rest- sick that's why the restaurants you go to now, they have to make up their own birthday songs. Oh, is that why they do yes, the clapping? Yeah, yeah. Legally, they're it's not your, allowed It's to your do. birthday, and clappy, birthday clappy, is birthday. yours. Yeah. It's always right. terrible. Yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> it's always like, a, something Yoda would say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, mm, birthday is yours. <laughs> but yeah, if you meet a... if uh, For guys out there looking for... Uh, a sugar mama, if if the last name's Pierce, there's a good chance that you're going to be fine. <laughs> and I only date women named Mildred, so that yeah, helps. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I like my, my ladies older. I'm waiting for Mildred to come back as a name. Right? Yeah. yeah. Henrietta, Mildred, like mm-hmm. grandma names. Yeah. 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 Now, this is a nerdy thing because a lot of your comedy is is goes is song-based, mm-hmm. or like, not a lot of it, but some of it yeah. is. Do you do publishing? Do you do oh, yeah. all that yeah, stuff? Yeah, I had to learn about that very early on, and it's been great, mm-hmm. I got to say, because, you know, I've done a couple of late-night appearances on network TV, and as a comic, you get, you know, I'll, I'll just throw out some numbers here. I don't think they're secret numbers or anything, yeah. but, like, you know, somewhere around 800 or 900 is, like, the SAG scale or whatever for doing for that. For a day, right? After yeah. A, yeah. Mm-hmm. But 
if you're doing a song, that gets logged with BMI. And it's not like the production pays for it. They just say that the song was played. And BMI collects this giant pool of money. And then at the end of the quarter or three quarters later, they divvy it all up to everybody that had songs played. And it's another grand or whatever. Yeah. So, and then, um, yeah, so that it, it gives an extra advantage. Uh, and, and people can abuse it too. Like there's... Uh, Brian Cranston, I mean, not abuse it, but in a comedic way, he he went on, I think, Kimmel and uh, started whistling. And he's like, you know, I just got paid to write a song and do it on this show. You know? And, and uh, he told the story about being on Malcolm in the Middle. And in the script, it just said, uh, you know, he's walking in the kitchen whistling. And then later, the legal team came up and said, what was the song you were whistling? He's like, I don't know. I was just whistling. Okay, so you wrote it then? I guess. <laughs> and he starts getting royalty checks yeah. for it. What? It's crazy. That, that's also, if anyone covers your song, oh, yeah. then you're going to get that cut, too. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That's you just... and, like, Stephen Lynch, probably. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Also and the great song. thing is it doesn't, it doesn't cost the production money, so there's no disadvantage for them. It's just that maybe the Michael Jackson estate gets a little less money because you got some of yours. You wow. Know? Let me ask you about the poor man's copyright thing. Do you remember that? Where the, oh, like, yeah, where you mail it to yourself? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. I did that. Did it do? Is it valid? I still legal? have it, and it seems so ridiculous. Now. <laughs> the is it, I, w- I would the think now, is, now, from what I understand about copyright law, which is a whole thing, <laughs> but I, it is interesting because I did have to learn this very early on because I was a musician, and I had this manager named Marty Kaniger who was fantastic, and he taught me all this stuff. But apparently something is copyrighted from the moment that you write it. The question is can you prove that you wrote it so in the universe it's yours once it's become gone out in the world can you uh videotape you doing it at a at a club with a timestamp or a bunch of witnesses um if if you have an mp3 of a song and you email it to yourself on google and you can show that you emailed you i mean i'm not a lawyer but i'm just saying that philosophically these things should work right um as long, it's just a matter of yeah. proving that you did it, but uh, right. but it's yours. And uh, th- in terms of sending yourself a letter, what was so dumb, <laughs> and I still have this, and it's so funny. I, I, I keep it for nostalgic purposes, right. but like in 89, I wrote the song called Worlds Away, and then somebody told me about this copyright thing. And um, I emailed a cassette tape to myself, and it was... St- the envelope was stapled together. And I remember looking at it recently, you know, like, what are we, 36 years yeah. later, or uh, 26 years later, and just going, well, why don't I just bend the little staples, take the thing out, put right. another song in there, put in Stairway to Heaven or something, <laughs> and then, or, or a song that was written since 89, right, right, right. and then just put those staples back yeah, in and then close like them experience. up again. It's like, yeah. it's so ridiculous that I thought that was going to work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I mean... What would you have to do? If you sealed it, then maybe it'd be a little harder to say that you were able... But it seems like there'd be a way to fake that, you know? Yeah, there, yeah I mean, you could steam it open or yeah, something. Yeah, I mean, there's I, Maybe things. you have to send it certified or something. Is that... I think you just yeah. need the postmark. I think you need the date. That yeah, was back but, in the but, day. But what's saying that you didn't replace the contents of True, the envelope right. with something after the yeah. fact? Mail fraud. It's a That's federal right, yeah. <laughs> they just make the penalty so big that you don't want to do it. Couldn't you also mail yourself an un... Uh, an unfat... Or rather, a... A letter with nothing in it, an envelope with 
nothing in it that has not been fastened. You're right. You're right. Right? Just do that. Oh. Just do that. Yeah. It, it'd be really interesting. Maybe I we used to live in a much more innocent time. I think so. <laughs> yeah. You, I think so. Well, nobody a, would do that. That would right. be really rude. I, think, like, I, used, I used to do this mail scam is like you put the address that you want it to go to as a return address, and then you put like... Oh, a, no a, stamp? A, no stamp. And then... It, it gets returned to the person that you wanted to send it to. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's another thing. That's an old scam. Um, tw- you, it was like 25 cents. You saved 25 cents. Yeah, it was a lot back then. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, because they would raise it like two cents. Yeah. Sometimes. It's 47 cents now. Jeez, we amazing. are. This is a good. This <laughs> old technology conversation. Yeah. yeah, this is a good way to engage I, your listeners. If anybody <laughs> knows about this, if you were born in 1989, copyright thing. I would love to we'd know. We'd love more to know about more that. about it. Yeah, Let's email open. us at subdocpodcast <laughs> at Send gmail. Send us a letter <laughs> and nine one nine. Apparently, yeah. the original Star Wars was copyrighted that way. That's totally a lie. I'm oh, sorry. okay. <laughs> so George Lucas sent himself <laughs> sent a copy. Himself, yeah. It was like 44 reels. Film. Yeah. <laughs> and unfortunately, only 43 made it because the U.S. post office lost one of the reels. I know. That's Rogue One. Which is why you don't yeah. see Chewbacca get killed in the first Star Wars. Like That's you're supposed right. To. They just had to change it. Yeah. And Which, you don't see the sex scene. B- by the way, Chewbacca and, no. <laughs> I am going to make an interesting an segue Ewok. here because I wrote down that... Uh, that the kid, the kid stays in the picture. The documentary we're talking about today, yeah. to me, was a link between Robert Evans was a link between old Hollywood and new Hollywood. Interesting. He was the bridge between the old school Hollywood method and like the new arrival of the seventies. Okay, and stuff. Mm-hmm. yeah. So it's kind of cool that we're talking about old technology, new yeah. technology. Um, and one thing we've been uh, Henry, one thing we've been asking our guests to do is kind of pitch. Maybe you could pitch in Robert Evans' voice. Can you do a Robert Evans? I can't. That's if I had just watched the movie right now, then it's sort of it's such an infectious uh, cadence that yeah, you can't yeah. not talk that way. Yeah. But exactly. uh, I I I don't even want to try. It'd be more like you, could, you don't have to do the voice, but like the rhetorical yeah, style. Yeah, 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 yeah. Of Robert Evans is like. Did I like the movie? Of course I did. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> would I do it again? Did. You bet your ass I would. <laughs> would I watch it again? Um, yeah, no, my pitch for that movie is when I tell people to watch it all the time and I'm amazed that people haven't, so many people that are avid film watchers haven't seen it. And I think it's cause it's not easy to get. It's not on Netflix, right? It's just like, you have to buy it for a full price on like Amazon or something like that. I mean, the last time I checked anyway, but it's, for one thing, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful picture. His voice is like nostalgia. It's like a, we have uh, an actual person talking that is is part of an era of Hollywood that's history and and revered, you know his cadence, his accent, everything, and just the power, you know, that he talks with, and it's funny at the same time, you know, it, it just to listen to. Um, Bob Odenkirk did a fantastic uh, parody of it on uh, on Mister Show where yeah. he was uh, God and talking about Jesus. Yeah, <laughs> um, but. And it's beautiful uh, pictures and everything, but also it's insightful, especially as now that that all of we comics and I guess actors and everybody in this industry have realized what self-starters we need to become to survive. It's really interesting. It's specifically the part in the movie where he says, you know, and we could talk more in detail about it, but when he says, that's what I wanted to be, I didn't want to be some actor shitting in his pants waiting for the phone to ring. I wanted to be the guy who says, the kid stays in the picture and what I say goes. Like, that feeling of wanting to be powerful 
self-empowered, not not necessarily power over everybody else, but feeling like there's something that you can actually do to make a difference as opposed to in that situation that I brought up, he was the actor waiting for everybody to decide whether it was going to work or not. That kind of insight is what I love that movie about. And uh, there's several other examples that we can talk about. But I would say overall, not only is it beautiful, it's nostalgic, but it's also educational and insightful. And it's funny. It is, yeah. It's hysterical. The God, the I just watched it. I, I've probably seen this documentary more, maybe more than any other documentary. I watched it again this morning, and I still laugh. Yeah, and I still chuckle at some of the fucking things he says because oh, yeah. he he's amazing. Robert Evans. Yeah. Is, oh yeah, it is a life. It is definitely a life. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Like uh, it's and it's super honest. Like you would think somebody like him wouldn't portray himself as vulnerable and oh honest. yeah it's so self-deprecating at times yeah yeah he really puts himself out there he and, does but it's also and that's I, almost a show of of strength yeah to be able to do mm-hmm. that absolutely mm-hmm. and as one thing i didn't quite realize is that this was based on the a 94 autobiography that he had written mm-hmm. yeah it was a book on tape Oh, it was? Yeah. yeah. Did you hear it? I think that that might have been what Mr. Show was talking about, and the movie came out afterward, and I don't know who put the pictures and the music on, added that and some of the old footage, but it just made it even more of an experience. Right. Oh, I see. So yeah. Brett Morgan, the director of this documentary, took his narration from the book on tape. If a lot I'm of not it mistaken. Is. A lot of it is, yeah. It's, oh. I think it mentioned in the credits, a lot of the audio was... That's, that That cadence that he uses is so great because he mm-hmm. just owns everything that he's done. Yeah. He owns the good and the bad. Yeah. The dumb mistakes mm-hmm. he yeah. made. But also is a complete... Uh, also, it is like an unreliable narrator, if ever there was. I feel like I there's, a so. lot of, there's a lot of... Uh, you know, you got to sure. take him out. He, he was in the room. It was me, Ali McGraw, Stevie Nicks, and we had a line of blow. You yeah. Know, like that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that's what, that's, that's, that's so great about this documentary is that it in itself is talking about old school ways of Hollywood and, mm-hmm. and the, uh, the, the fun things that he would get. It's, it's like he's talking about what could be in itself a movie. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like it's a, this weird thing of like you're watching a documentary about a guy who's talking about his life that could have been a movie in itself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, I, yeah, I was thinking about the scenes near the end when they're using shots from Marathon Man of Dustin Hoffman yeah, running yeah. around just to illustrate like his yeah. mania, or the, that the last movie he appeared in as a crazy kooky killer. Oh yeah, the kooky yeah. killer. Oh, my never God, seen yeah. that movie. But like they just bring in all that footage and Brett Morgan. Like my only exposure to Brett Morgan is this movie and uh, Montage of Heck. So they're kind of similar, like animating yeah. certain things and like using the the you know the first person perspective. There was right. a lot of stuff came up with Montage of Heck where we're like, did that really happen or was he just fucking with people? Yeah, yeah. And so he, and he also worked on uh, the new JT Leroy. He did so absolutely. I think yeah. that's one consistent thread is like he just lets goes with the source material. Uh, and it, source. It, what I thought was fascinating. Okay, here's a couple of things I find is fascinating. One, I didn't realize even back then they were commissioning books to be movies. I kind of thought that was kind of a new newish thing mm-hmm. that books became movies, like um, graphic novels are becoming movies. Uh, books. Are, I thought that was kind of a in the last thirty years. I didn't realize it was even back then that they were doing that. Um, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of repetition. Like the technology changes, but like for example, I, I had a when I was studying music, I had a, a film composer teacher uh, professor who was like, 
You know, anybody out there who's upset that the guy from Radiohead did the score for uh, There Will Be Blood. Oh, I Johnny Greenwood, yeah. Yeah. And, and who might be people that might have spent their entire life working as film composers and they give it to a pop star. Mm-hmm. This has been happening ever since the very beginning. Like, we don't realize that the composers that they used for films had already identified themselves as popular composers mm-hmm. in other arenas, like classical composers, like Shostakovich or whatever, and all these guys. Mm-hmm. It's just that it became a different style of music and pop, but they, mm-hmm. they were generally well-known before they were doing the films. Yeah. Leonard Bernstein, you know? Mm-hmm. Had already done Man- his own body of work. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they were already accomplished musicians in the in the music world. Zanuck arrives in Morelia, Mexico, and I'm summoned to show up in the bullring to do my keys of Veronica's in front of him. I walk into the bullring, take off my hat, throw it to him for you. Then I start going through my various things, etc. I feel like an idiot. I know I'm going to get fired. Ah! Ah! Suddenly, Zanuck stands up, all five for three of them, picks up a bullhorn. The kid stays in the picture, and anybody who doesn't like it can quit. Puts the bullhorn down and walks out. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. In the beginning, he talks about sitting at a, at a pool. He was a business, like a pants salesman or something like that, mm-hmm. a, owned his own business. Yeah. And, and he's like, uh, he, I, he references that he's a good-looking guy, which is a hard thing for any guy to say. But then there's a picture of him hanging out at the pool that somebody found, and he is a good-looking he, guy. He's like you know? a, you're like a, almost like a ethnically ambiguous Cary Grant. Yeah, yeah, exactly, <laughs> yeah. 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 And uh, and he basically gets discovered. And um, and then it's, it, he did a couple of acting jobs here and there, and then there's this this turning point in his life when he was supposed to play the matador and the sun also rises yeah. and Hemingway is there. That's crazy. And, uh, and the director whose name escapes me and they were going to, they were going to present Robert Evans and say, this is the matador. And apparently Hemingway hated him. And the director was, you know, picks up his, uh, his megaphone and just goes, the kid stays in the picture. <laughs> and if anybody wants to disagree with me, you can leave. Yeah, I mean, he says that to Hemingway, <laughs> and and that's when Robert Evans says, "That is what I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to be some actor shitting in his pants waiting for the phone to ring. I wanted to be the guy who what I say goes, and it's so honest and so great, and and it's such a perfect example of a moment in time that changes the rest of your life, you know. And that's what's so powerful about it. Absolutely. Now, Henry. Um, 
I, I don't know why I said it like now, Henry, <laughs> just thinking about old timey pictures. But do you yeah. have can you share a moment with George and I and our listeners? Did you have a, a break like that where uh, maybe not discovered, but someone where you thought, oh, shit, I don't know if this is going to be right for me. It came along and uh, your career hopped up from that. Um, 99. Yeah. And this is the first one that comes to mind, but like, so in 94, 95, I was a comic slash, uh, finishing my degree at UCLA in political science. And I, I had a couple of songs and I would go around and do them. I hadn't decided what I was going to do with my life yet. Uh, had a day job as an English tutor and, uh, gave some guitar lessons or whatever. I was pretty much floundering. And then, uh, in about 96, I did a show at the Improv that went pretty well, and I became friends with Doug Stanhope. Nice. And I admired him so much. I was like, wow, this guy. And I had been to San Francisco, the punchline, and I saw his headshot there. And I was like, well, this guy's like, he's famous. He's yeah. like the headliner at the comedy club and everything. Yeah. And then we became like drinking buddies. And then in 99, he took me out as his opening act. Um, and I went to Houston Laugh Stop in 99 and featured for the whole week to packed houses and that was the moment i was like this is absolutely what i'll be doing that's from awesome. here on out yeah and i think i think meeting him because it, suddenly hollywood became this kind of or comedy became this big playground it was just like whoa you can easily be hanging out with uh comics that you look up to and everything like that and um so i mean that's that's the first one that comes to mind that's always been a really big one for me is uh Making that transition from what am I going to do to knowing for sure. Right, right. That's the one that put you on the track. Yeah, and That's then it went down after that. No, <laughs> yeah. And where's Doug Stanhope today? I Arizona. <laughs> well, he's making his own uh, books on tape. Uh, and he's fantastic. awesome, man. I know he's going to be in, oh, shoot, I think he's going to be in um, San Francisco next week. That's going to yeah, be great. It's going to be way past when this comes out yeah but still i'm just saying for my own no he's 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 a he's got such a strong cult following yeah yeah oh he's amazing yeah yeah Um, and uh you know i don't think there's that much of uh there's a tiny little bit of overlap between those two people it's just people that take life into their own hands and do it their way right Mm -hmm. the song my way Mm-hmm. I think certainly applies to Stanhope, and I think it applies to Robert Evans as well. Oh my God! Uh, yeah, yeah. For yeah. Sure. And uh, maybe maybe that's a litmus test. If you can listen to the song "My Way" and feel like it's about you, yeah. I mean, I certainly. Geez, I mean, all of us. You know, what the hell are we doing? We're doing it our way. You that's know? true. And if and speaking of Sinatra. Mm-hmm. Like he, he, <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, that was great. He, he plays a big wow. part in this oh, doc- yeah. this documentary, <laughs> which has been verified so many in so many other. Uh, you know, uh, lore, uh, retellings of yeah. you know, mm-hmm. other stories, you know, like Mia Fair was it Mia Farrow? Yeah. yeah. And, uh, yeah, he was, he was the heavy for he, sure. Absolutely. It's a great story. I, I'm going to back up just a little bit though, before we get to that point, because I want to go back to the fact that for people who haven't seen this documentary and if you haven't, you need to mm-hmm. immediately, maybe just turn this off right now and go watch it and <laughs> yeah. come back because it's incredible. But, uh, so Evan Picone was, was the woman that discovered, um, Robert Evans in the pool, mm-hmm, but he, pool. Robert Evans and his brother had a successful woman's pants yeah. business, which, and then in the doc, he even says, <laughs> so you could say I was in women's pants, <laughs> which is hilarious <laughs> in itself. But he says, and I love this word, but he says he's the reason women started wearing slacks. 
Oh, yeah. Is because of his brother. He and his brother had this um, garment business. Mm-hmm. And I love the the word slacks. Because um, my mm-hmm. dad used to say slacks. Go put your slacks yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's such a dad word. Yeah, exactly. Like Davenport. Slacks. Yeah, yeah. You ever, like, go sit on the Davenport with your good slacks. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. It always made me laugh. That's um, and then, so, yeah. So, ma- uh, uh, A Man of a Thousand Faces. Um, right. Story of Lon Chaney. That's yeah, the story of Jimmy Lon- Cagney stars in it. Yep, right? his here and like um, first Ro- movie. <laughs> yeah, Robert Evans um, said he was a huge, you know, uh, Cagney fan, and he gets cast in a, a Man of a Thousand Faces mm-hmm. um, and playing a studio head, playing a playing studio Spielberg, right? Yeah, 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 playing a studio head that helps Lon Chaney out, mm-hmm. and uh, and it looks like from they they have some. Uh, footage from that movie, and it looks like he's doing a good job. I guess mm-hmm. he says Cagney said, "Like, hey, you're, you know, you're a decent actor." Yeah, and yeah. something like that. Um, and then he goes on to, um, yeah, the sun also rises with Ernest Hemingway, and and uh, Zanuck was like, "The kid stays in the picture," uh, which I haven't seen. Have you guys ever seen? No, the sun no. also rises. I've never. No, seen I've it. read the book. And I kind of want to leave it at that. Right, I can't yeah. imagine it as a movie. Well, I guess they they were saying Hemingway saw himself as the Matador character, but I thought that he was more the the main character in it. And it's a classic thing too. I mean, you don't have. Well, I'm saying this, and yet I'm going through it right now. But like the writer, it's they they have it in their head what the whole thing's supposed to look like. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's very difficult to to pitch some actor to a guy like Hemingway who's, you know, yeah. whether he envisioned himself or whoever it was that he was envisioning, it's pretty hard to nail that. You right, know? yeah. Absolutely. He and looks like a matador, though. He nailed the matador part. Yeah. He he said, d- that's what he said. He got, he heard the, the you know, that he was on his way out and he just, he's like, yeah. I became the matador. I became the matador. Yeah, yeah. He was, he- which goes back to, he did it, like he wanted to do it his way. He, I think probably saw that he had one chance, mm-hmm. you know, and you have, if you don't make the best of your one chance, you only get one shot. You only get one shot, says this Eminem. comes in a lifetime. Yeah, dog. You yeah. know how it is. Um, which is true. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, you get, you get one chance. George, have you ever, been given like the, a one chance opportunity where you took a moment where it was like okay fuck it this is it and you did well like you broke through um i guess i would say the the one acting thing that i got and i had never really auditioned for anything and it was that thing for looking and i just i had taken some improv so they just told me to just improv a thing and i just i fucked up the line but it just kept going and i guess they liked that and I, but I was trying not to hinge so much on that yeah. experience because it's like this is my first time doing this, so if I get yeah. anything out of it, great. And then, th- yeah, so maybe that I'd right say because it's like the a level of commitment that you get from improv is good in that situation. Absolutely, just, like, mm-hmm. just commit, and then you'll at least commit to the thing. So yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, no, but there's there's a lot of stories. You know, a buddy of mine. Um, did an interview with uh, Howard Stern uh, several years ago uh, on the phone where he was supposed to be doing a character and all the writers were telling him what to do. I don't want to say his name just in case, but uh, he's a very talented guy and uh, he made the choice that he just ignored all the stuff that the writers (laughs) were telling him because he didn't think it was that funny. He's Mm -hmm. a funny guy in his own right and he improved it and Howard loved it. And nice. then he was on there a whole bunch since then. So, oh, wow. Sometimes, yeah, you have to go ahead and take your risk. And the writers were like, well, 
You didn't say any of the stuff we told you yeah. to say, but I guess it was pretty good, so whatever. <laughs> but uh, my friend really thinks that it would have gone poorly if he was saying the stuff that they were right. telling him to say, because it was just kind of cheap stuff. And Gene Simmons has been on a lot, like you said. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah he, he exactly. He keeps going back on. I know, yeah. He's How is he doing, bunch. Gene? Gene? Yeah. Oh, I think he's doing all right. He's Good. having uh, hair issues, I think. <laughs> I think he might be. Uh, and then, um, yeah, so then uh, uh, he is like, it's uh, this whole thing is like this event of uh, good luck mm-hmm. and uh, preparation and want like wanting it you yeah know? because then after you know the kid stays in the picture thing with Zanuck and uh Ernest Hemingway uh he gets a call from my favorite character in this entire fucking thing Charles Bloondorn oh yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. the head of golf and western who buys Paramount Pictures um which was like the last Paramount Pictures was like the shit number 9 and there was the top 9 out eight. of 8 yeah, yeah. yeah. basically yeah, yeah. of the studios well, yeah, and then, um, but and this is a, another great thing for people that are looking for insight from looking at his life. But he says, "All right, I knew I had to own something. I knew that if I was going to go around and pitch something, I needed mm-hmm. to be holding something." So he bought for five thousand dollars, I think, the rights the to a book. Yeah. yeah, and how few people that we know, even sometimes including ourselves, are going around trying to sell mm-hmm. nothing <laughs> you know it's like he knew he was a smart enough businessman to yeah. know that i have to be holding on to something that other people want in order to get people yeah. to take meetings with me and and you're i mean you're a great guest to talk about this doc with because you've written and produced your own yeah. films yeah talk about oh that. i think about yeah. it all the time and um punching the clown yeah right now with the the, the we have this movie punching the clown that I, I would say that that was when, when you asked about um, the moment that you were given one shot. I mean, I was able to make, with my buddy Greg, we were able to make a feature-length movie, which doesn't happen all the time. No. And I really do think we nailed it. That was back in 2008 that we shot it, and it went on Netflix, and then it started a whole career for me. And so now we're making the sequel with a studio, and it, and working with people that have, that paid for the movie, it's difficult because there's always an inherent conflict. There's like, well, we're Greg and I are trying to make the best possible movie. They're trying to put out a good movie without spending more money on right. it, which is all understandable. But um, when you watch a movie like Kids Stays in the Picture and you see moments like when Robert Evans... I mean, let's face it, the guy had a huge ego. Yeah. And when, when, what I love is when he's showing the poster for the Cotton Club, and, he, and he's got all these investors in there, and he's already done so much in his career by this point, and he's going to say, he, he's like, I'm going to show you, and, and you've seen it more recently, so stop me if I'm saying anything uh, that I'm, you know, incorrectly, but he's like, I'm going to show you a poster. If you look at this poster... And you don't say, I want to invest in that movie, then this this is not for you, you know? And then it, it, he shows the poster, and, and he's like, one guy, I think from Sweden or something yeah. like that, raised his hand and was just like, who's going to be in it? Who are you, sir? You know what? I don't want your money. If yeah. you have to ask that question after you're seeing this poster, yeah. I don't even want to take your money. You can leave right yeah. now. Yeah. And it's like, wow, that's so powerful and awesome. It's It would have been a better story if that movie wound up being great. Which it was. And he even admits, he's yeah. like, you know, and the movie tanked. Yeah. But... It's like that's it. It's a roller coaster, you know. And sometimes yeah. you really believe in something, and you put yourself out on the line, and it turns out to be wrong. 
And then it's like you got to eat crow and you got to be embarrassed. It's like I know how passionate I was about this. I thought it was a good idea at the time. Yeah. Right. Turns out I was wrong. Well, and him and Coppola get in a legal battle over the yeah. movie. Oh, too, yeah. Right and it seems like there is not a lot of love lost between those guys. No, and he calls him the little prince. Yeah. <laughs> Robert Evans calls him. And then the little prince took yeah, me Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, um, yeah, but, but when you see, those are the inspiring things when you see, and, and this is another big part of the movie for me, the lasting effect of it is now in this age where a lot of people will tell you that um, studios are basically bankers, record labels are bankers. They're not, they, they will front money for an investment and then they'll hope to get it back. They're not um, the people, the, the guy who discovered uh, Elvis, you know, Sam right. Phillips or whatever, yeah. just mm-hmm. saying like, you know, I'm going to take this guy, I'm going to go around and make him go on the radio, everybody's going to hear it and it's going to go crazy. It's like Robert Evans was one of those guys too. These are people that just loved the thing that they were pitching so, so much mm-hmm. that they put everything on the line for it. Whereas now it's like, okay, well, who's in it? Yeah. All right. So according to statistics, we'll probably make mm-hmm. at least this much money and there's a chance that we can make more. You know, you, you balance out the risk and everything. Okay, we'll yeah. pay for it. You know, right. there's mm-hmm. just no passion. There's Where's no the somebody arts? trying to do something that might completely fail, but it might succeed and be the best thing that yeah. change yeah. filmmaking. It seems know? like right now people are like trying to make stuff that's going to appeal like internationally. That's why all these superhero movies do well. They can like, we can sell this in Europe. We can sell this in China. It's like an action yeah. movie. Which, which those movies, I hate, I mean, no offense to all the people that love these movies, but I, it, every time I'm on the plane, I always watch one of them, and um, they're, they're the opposite of Robert Evans. You know, it's just like they seem like so perfectly calculated so that they've got all the right stuff. And, I mean, they've got these fight scenes that I'm just like, I couldn't be less engaged. I don't mm-hmm. care who wins the fight, you know. That's when you usually, I usually look away and, like, look at my phone for a second. Yeah, yeah. yeah I know, I could care less mm-hmm. about that stuff. You know. On the other hand, uh, on the plane, I just saw The Big Short, and I know that's a different movie. Yeah. Love that. That mm-hmm. was great. Yeah, but it's like, really well done. Yeah, there's there's movies that are made with passion, and, the, and there's movies that uh, are made to calculate, you know. And he's a, he, you said he's a transitional figure, which I well, sort of see that. Well, we watch him yeah. take, what is it? Uh, the producer as auteur. But Paramount, right? Or yes, yes, Paramount. Yeah, so he takes it from, like, number eight to, like, number two or whatever. With or a or love story. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. And it's like, this is it's fun to watch this guy doing that. Well, he's old enough. I mean, he was there. It's like Steve Jobs or something. You know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he was young enough to be on the set with Ernest Hemingway mm-hmm. and brilliant enough and just the right age to also then be on the set with people like Jack Nicholson. Dude, he was doing his 40s right. Yeah, yeah. This guy Hoffman. lived his 40s. He was 38, he was 38 when he got the helm of Paramount. That's and, nuts, yeah. Yeah, and that is pretty nuts. And also without much of any... Uh, history or experience. Yeah, that that, that script he bought for five grand got him a seat at the table. It's basically right. he was saying like they could have cashed me out, but I wanted to use this to get invested. Calling in, card, in the business. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and there's so many, uh, and, and you can't look at his career and say, look, he did everything right the whole time. Um, there are some people part. that you feel like you could look at, at their mm-hmm. trajectory and just go, wow, this person literally did it. Like, I would say maybe Steven Spielberg might be one of those guys. Where mm-hmm. Sure. It's probably not a lot of mistakes that happen. And that might be an interesting biography, too. But yeah. I don't know if it would be as engaging as Robert Evans, no, this who g- lost everything several times. Lost yeah. love, you know? But like what you're saying, like the pa- he has a passion. As a producer, he's so passionate about the projects 
that he's uh, he takes authorship. Yeah, of right. a lot of these movies. Well, and what makes he's like this, it's Polanski and me. And, but you know, yeah, yeah. His life, movie-ish, movie-like, or an equivalent, is that he had this meteoric rise, mm-hmm. this staggering fall, yeah, and then a mm-hmm. rebirth. I mean, there is nothing more. You read that in every script writing book. That's what you're supposed to have as a yeah. hero. You yeah, know? and like that's what makes this so compelling. Plus, he sounds like a guy you want to throw back a fucking whiskey with. Oh, absolutely. With. <laughs> you know, you want to be brokenhearted with him. Yeah. You know? And it's like, yeah, the way he talks about his lost loves is just so great. We had a long two-day honeymoon in Palm Springs. I held Ellie tight in my arms. I love you, Evans. I love you. Forever, Evans. Forever. I whispered back, forever, darling. And promise me, never leave me. I promise you, baby, I won't. Not even for two weeks. (laughs) Not for one kid. I'm a hot lady, Evans. I hugged her, I kissed her. Never change, baby, never change. And never let anything get between us, Evans. Promise, promise. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Whoa, sweet man cave. Thanks. Serious upgrade. How'd you pay for all this? I got a home equity line of credit from Figure. I was approved in five minutes and had funding in five days. Wow, that fast and easy? Yep. The application is 100% online, plus no out-of-pocket costs. Just fast access to the cash you need. How do I get started? Go to figure.com and get that serious upgrade. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. My stepmom loved the movie Love Story. Mm-hmm. When I was a kid, my very first crush was Ally McGraw. Mm-hmm. And if you, which you aren't going to be able to do, but if you would look at pretty much all of my past girlfriends, they all look like <laughs> Ally McGraw. Wow. Mine look like Ryan O'Neal. For- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which phase? The, like, bloated uh, All one? of it. <laughs> all no, of it. Um, yeah, That's no, funny. I just remember the... The music when I was a little kid, that song is just yeah. fantastic. Yeah. I've actually never so seen great. the film. Oh, God, I've watched it too many times. Yeah. My stepmom was so into that movie. Have you ever been told you look like Ryan O'Neill? Have you heard um, that No, but I feel like I'm about to. No, I'm just <laughs> uh, I don't know if anybody's ever said that one. I've been called Fat Val Kilmer, and he is fat. <laughs> that now, is just, so yeah, just Val Kilmer. That's think, the guy who hangs I out with Pablo. most like Bon Jovi. Bon Jovi, I've been I can told see that. that. Yeah. yeah. Do you want to tell the Frank Sinatra story from? Uh, you should tell it because you okay. probably it's more fresh in your mind. So, uh, on the set of Rosemary's Baby, which is basically uh, the first Paramount picture that was being produced by Robert Evans, uh, he got a young Mia Farrell. He got his Polak friend Roman Polanski to direct it. Uh, he really loved the script. Um, but uh, one day he gets a call from Frank Sinatra on the set, and Frank says, "Listen." I need Mia Farrow off that set December 17th, uh, December 16th, whatever it was, because we were shooting a picture mm-hmm. together. Yeah. Which, by the way, I hope people still say picture in studios. Oh, yeah. 
I hope that is still a word. It's that's... right there in the title of the movie. That I we're love talking it. About. Pictures. It's great. Or uh, a hologram. And, yeah. And then so uh, basically, it's uh, like record. Mia comes we're to a, we're cutting a record. <laughs> Cut, cutting, a, <laughs> cutting a record. An acetate. And they're married. You don't at the say time. MP3. They're married. Yeah. Uh, Frank Sinatra and Mia Farrow are married and must be separated by thirty years or something. I think. Oh yeah. Something big. And he says to Robert Evans, "I need like." And this is this is Frank. She's Sinatra. got great taste in men, by the way. Yeah. He he says, "I need her off your set because." We're, we're shooting a picture together. Mia Farrow comes to Robert Evans and says, I love him. I love him, yeah. and I'm going to have to quit the, the picture. Yeah. And then Robert Evans says, I know how to get to a dame's head. Mm-hmm. Ego. So he has his editor cut together what uh, like an hour version quickly, and he plays it for Mia and is like, look, you're a star. You're you are amazing. Yeah. Look at all these beautiful close-ups of you. And yeah. basically she was like, you're right. <laughs> and they get divorced. Sinatra divorces her like that week. Mm-hmm. And which is insane. Hell hath no fury like a woman's scorn. Amen. He's like, I ain't touching that dame. Like a dame. Yeah. And so um, she stays. Uh, and then they show pictures of her dancing and being all hippie-ish and lovely. Mm-hmm. And she's so cute with the pixie haircut and stuff. And, yeah. And then she, the movie fucking goes nuts. It does really well. Yeah. yeah. And she wanted Robert Evans to take out a two-page ad showing <laughs> uh, what his... Uh, how it opened versus how it opened oh, yeah, versus yeah. Frank Sinatra's, which I think he was doing the detective, the movie. It was the movie. Yeah, that's why it, it was the thing that Robin Robert Evans was like, yeah, like the thing that got me in this business right. might take me out of it. Robert Evans goes on to get uh, the rights to The Godfather, yeah. and he basically says there are no Italian American directors in that's Hollywood, right. and there's only Jewish. Act, the Jewish actors would play the Italian actors mm-hmm. or Italians in the in the gangster movies, Which and there was work very easily. yeah yeah yeah. yeah. Or they, they used to play Indians, Native Americans. Like Jewish guys would always play Native Americans and stuff. Very People weird. didn't know what ethnicities were, so they were just like, oh yeah, sure. Yeah, David Carradine <laughs> as Kung Fu. Yeah. yeah, I mean, like it's so random. It's a lot better now. Yes, it's gotten it's a little yeah, bit yeah. better. Tilda Swinton is uh, Tibetan. Right. And, uh, yeah. Wait, and then um, who's playing Ghost in the Machine? Oh or yeah, of... Scarlett Johansson yeah. is a Ghost in the Shell. Yeah. Ghost in the Shell. Yeah. Oh, that's controversial, right? It Isn't is it? a bit. Yeah. Yeah. It is a bit. But um, so then, the, so then that's what brings in the legend of Francis Ford Coppola yes. into the story. We had apparently only made three movies that weren't considered that successful. Three horrible movies, yeah, basically, and like a musical, which I had no idea he had done a musical. I didn't back either. Then. I didn't yeah. yeah, and by the way, when you watch the movie, people out there. You get to see footage. I don't know where they're pulling this out, but just footage of them all sitting around chatting or just like mm-hmm. off screen, you know, and it's fascinating. Polanski, Coppola, you know, mm-hmm. Mia Farrow, uh, everything. And uh, that footage is, is another part of the movie that's beautiful, you know, Absolutely. the music, the pictures, the whole thing is like a lovely, relaxing experience, you know? Yeah. It's really great. And it's like, I think maybe the first big humble brag. Yeah. To oh, co- yeah, for sure. Co- you know, like, it's like the first modern humble brag. It's so great. He wanted to tell his story, yeah. you know? And if you go, I went to his website, uh, and Evans. he has a lot of pictures uh-huh. on his website as well that you can peruse, which led me to tweeting at Robert Evans and said, oh, wow. hey, we're doing Kid Stays in the Picture. Uh, we'd love to talk to you as well. Uh, and he retweeted it. Wow. Somebody. Yeah. Some his nurse took his hand and wow. pushed the retweet button. Maybe I don't know. Am yeah. I mentioned in this? No. <laughs> What's that? Wait, you, you this is the podcast. This is on, on Twitter. Twitter. Yeah, you mentioned this podcast. Yeah, I was wondering if you put my handle in there. I did, did not. not. Oh, okay. I did not. There was enough 
146. I just wanted to be a part of it. No, I will. We'll tweet back at um, it. Yeah, yeah. We retweeted by that. No, it's uh, it's fun to talk about. I think it's such a positive uh, experience in filmmaking. You know. There's, there's, let's get into the downfall. We haven't got, yeah. I mean, yeah. we no, haven't so even much. hit Chinatown before we get to the no. downfall. We've got to quickly do Chinatown. Okay, we can rev this up. I yeah. just also wanted to mention, I found out that Odenkirk, uh, Saul Goodman is based on Robert Evans. No, the kid, the way he formed the character. Yeah. A guy who can talk his way out of anything. Yeah, he. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, so he based Saul Goodman on Robert Evans wow. as well. Um, that's that's where interesting. That, yeah. yeah. But yeah, he's got so, a burner phone. Yeah. So yeah, so we get into the- Chinatown. He commissioned. Okay, so then I read this that he wanted Robert Town to do Great Gatsby. That's why he hired. He first got to work with Robert Town, and then Robert Town has this whole other idea about California and water, and and then he shows the script to Robert Evans and a bunch of people, and Evans doesn't really get it, but he's still like. I trust this guy. I'm going to make it, which is a that's a big leap of faith. Well, he calls it Chinese, like he couldn't read yeah. it. He said it's like nobody understood the script, which mm-hmm. I don't under didn't quite understand what that meant because yeah, I'm not sure what was so confusing about it's it. It's a confu- I think it can still be a confu- It's a complicated movie, you know. Yeah. So I could see it being without having the visuals of Jack Nicholson doing it, but he already yeah. he was writing it for Jack Nicholson too. Mm-hmm. So that ends up being. A huge thing that's mm-hmm. like another thing. He wins a bunch of Oscars. Yeah. And yeah. No, the ups and downs are fantastic to watch. And it's like, it, it kind of brings up the question would you in your life deal with all the downs if you had all those ups? You know? Right. Well, or would you be in a cubicle your whole life? You know, there's two <sighs> options. There well, are. He brings one, the, the main, the first down, he definitely brings on himself, which is. Getting nailed for buying nineteen thousand dollars oh, worth yeah. of cocaine, medical grade. medical grade cocaine. <laughs> yeah, and my favorite part of this he even is, says that I was so fucking stupid. <laughs> yeah, but my favorite part is how he gets out of it. Uh, he has to do community oh, yeah. service. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he does PSAs, and it's called get high on your yeah which yeah, I re- yeah. do you remember those <laughs> oh Henry, yeah yeah those? i do remember them i didn't remember until i watched the doc and i was like oh my god i do remember yeah, yeah. those it's like, a we are the world of don't do drugs yeah, yeah. As, a, as a kid in the 80s because I we was, already did them all yeah i was so <laughs> scared of the say no to drug campaign mm-hmm. like that thing seems so weird to me and like, yet you turned into who you are yes exactly <laughs> yeah. i also didn't try cocaine until my 40s though yeah. like robert evans oh. <laughs> uh but i think that's also kind of funny because he's like I, oh, didn't, I, know. I didn't drink i didn't smoke marijuana when i think yeah. of robert evans i only think of cocaine for some reason <laughs> yeah that's like well it's the hollywood it's, think it's of, hollywood yeah. in the 60s 70s, lady 80s, snow you know yeah. yeah it got him it got its the dragon got its grips yeah in him. but then that leads to the other thing that really takes his reputation down which is he is tied into a murder yeah, yeah. not a suspect supposedly but the woman He's who, not even close to a suspect. Yeah. It's but just, it's because this woman wanted a finder's fee for introducing this drug dealer to Robert. And so he's his name's in the papers regardless. Because he's the famous one in the whole bunch and these people in the media and we're seeing so much of it right now. Mm-hmm. Um they want a story and a headline with right. that says Robert Evans producer and murder in the same sentence. Yeah. Suddenly Everybody just walks away going, oh, like right now with uh, Brad and Angelina, like I, I was, oh, yeah. I saw the headline that said, you know, uh, police investigating child abuse reports oh, of God. Brad Pitt. Yeah. And I was like, all right, now I got to read this. What the hell is this? And then I look 
And like the quote from the police is something like, you know, we are seeing no evidence of any child right. abuse. We are investigating. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, yeah. you have to investigate if somebody yeah. says it. So it's like, who, who are these assholes putting that, that headline together? And right. and uh, it sounds like Robert Evans was an extreme victim of this. He didn't kill anybody. Yeah. He wasn't Roy involved Raiden. in anything. Yeah. Somebody else was trying to introduce him to somebody, yeah. and then they got murdered or whatever. The Cotton Club and it, Actually, yeah it, ties, yeah, it ties back to Cotton Club, yeah, because Roy Raiden wanted to uh, help finance the movie. The Which I Club. think he did. I think, mm-hmm. and he, yeah, and then he got gets murdered and mm-hmm. um yeah they tie him because basically in in american society if you're accused it's truth mm-hmm. until proven otherwise which right. is horrible yeah in yeah. the yeah. my yeah, emails or maybe have something right right yes well one of the things that was fascinating was the murder happened in 93 the trial got underway in 99 it's six years with him getting some press about it. Oh, know? no. The murder is 83? Oh, 83. Yeah. That's right. I mean, and then the trial is 89. Yeah, trial's later, yeah. Yeah, it's like six years. Oh, wow, it's a of, long time. Of being, mm-hmm. getting horrible press and yeah. stuff. So, like... Well, it, yeah, the that woman is arrested and convicted. I think she has two or three accomplices, too. Which right? is probably why we didn't hear much from him in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, so then he checks himself into a mental institution. Um, and then the story he tells is funny and harrowing, and yeah. and it's cut in with pieces of the movies that he's produced, which right. is oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Marathon very, Man, yeah. very entertaining. Yeah. Oh, it's so fantastic. Yeah, and, and, it, and the one thing that would, listeners aren't aren't really getting is just the musical uh, way that he talks. It's just so much a part of the movie. It's like its own character. Yeah. It's like. Anybody else reading their own story would not be nearly as engaging. It's just that, no. that cadence that's such a owning everything that you did and saying it that way. It's so perfect. Uh, yeah. I don't know about you guys, but Marathon Man, it's what, oh, I love yeah. that film, and it's so uh, so weird. And I think it's the first movie that I got nightmares from, and I didn't even watch the whole thing. I remember just seeing certain scenes and then like being like, I am traumatized. That and like Carrie, yeah, like Sister oh, Space yeah. and Carrie. No, the two movies I creepy could get back. through. Yeah, the seventies were a great decade for yeah. weird, creepy movies. Well, I mean, that's what I was saying. That other thing about like the seventies, like when you think of movies that changed the course of independent. Or I guess they're not independent movies technically back then. It's just the just old studio system yeah. broke down. Well, right. the movies of the seventies to me look like current independent films. Right, like they, there was not as much attention paid to whether or not the audience was definitely going to go for this. Mm-hmm. Right, it was more about let's make a good piece of art. And most of the actors didn't look like underwear models. They were like, yeah, like Bruce oh, Dern absolutely. or someone like that. Yeah, yeah. Bruce Dern. And, I mean, like, there's there's so many of the actors Elliot look, Gould was look like, like a huge real star. people. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's like yeah. it's like when you watch a, a news... If you watch news footage from, like, mm. the 60s or the 70s, you're just like, wow, these people wouldn't even be allowed on TV right now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> just Patty Hearst. That's it, yeah. Yeah. He even yeah. talked about Ali McGraw's, like, misshaped tooth or whatever yeah, in yeah. the documentary. Listen, yeah. snot nose kids. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you have Henry's Kitchen, which, yeah. which is a series you do. You have uh, You and Your Fucking Coffee. Mm-hmm. And then you also have... Those your, are web-based. Your movies. And then I have, yeah... Two movies, one uh, that's out and the other one's in the can waiting to be distributed. Now, those I wrote, starred in, and partly produced. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I feel like at this point, I could never tell you what it's like to be uh, to have the kind of stakes that some 
you know, I, I feel a little bit. I, I used to like take some sort of joy in it when a when a movie came out and just fucking ate it. Thinking <laughs> I'd be like, ah, fuck you, your movie sucks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now I don't think it's necessarily the fault of the filmmaker. I'm just sort of like. I'm amazed that anybody can make a good movie because it's all once the money yeah. goes up to a certain level, how can you possibly make decisions? Like people must be scared shitless. You know, it's like what Dave Chappelle went through in the second season. Right. Uh, you know, once Comedy Central knew they were yeah. in for, for fifty million, they had people standing around in suits telling them what to do. Yeah. And he's like, "Well, that's not the way we made the first one." Right. And um, I'm I'm just like amazed at how how many cooks are in the kitchen and how anything can possibly get done, right. mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. What, like, what would, what would you do if some, if a, if like a studio came to you, let's say like what Louis CK got from, um, FX. FX. Yeah. What would you, do you have something in mind that you would want to try or would you take um, one of your existing? Yeah, I have a whole bunch of ideas, but to be honest with you, if I got that, and now Louis took a lot less money than normal in order to do that, which was, probably smart because that takes away that guilt feeling if you're wrong you know right. it's like well hey at least we all saved money on it yeah you know and also they probably that's part of the negotiating of it it's like all right if we're paying you less but but yeah i, w- I would try to take the money out of it as much as possible because then you're going to be afraid it's like boy what if i'm wrong about this and you can't be you have to be owning it every step of the way but yeah you could make something and just completely flop i mean when you're, uh, there's got to be so many countless tales of people making a movie that thinking, like, just picture what goes on. You guys know, I mean, we all kind of in Hollywood know, like, what goes into making a movie. It's like somebody gets an idea, and then if it gets approved, the next thing you know, you've got burly men bringing giant pieces of <laughs> yeah. equipment, cranes. There's yeah. all these, oh, Jesus, guys. Yeah. I hope this is fucking good yeah. because we're spending a lot of money, <laughs> a lot of people setting up giant yeah. structures and, you know, craft services and chefs and all right. these other people. Yeah. It's like all to make a giant piece of shit. It's yeah. like, sorry about that, everybody. Right. You know, it's a little bit nerve-wracking. Yeah, you know? all but, of a sudden um, you have people whose families need depend on yeah. your yeah. movie. This is reminding me of the thing that um, we were hearing about from Brett Berg about the Canadians' infrastructure, right. those like weird tax loop movies. Yeah. Where people are just like, we don't care whether it does well at all. Yeah. And we're just, because it's a tax write off wow. for some people in Canada in like the 70s. Just like Cronenberg. See, came that would be through. a beautiful situation yeah. to be in. Right. And you'd probably wind up making an amazing movie because yeah, that, of that pressure's off. Yeah. And it, you yeah. can't have that pressure. I was listening to Fresh Air and she was talking to David. Beyond Cooley, the TV critic who mm-hmm. just wrote a new book, and he panned Lucky Louie, mm-hmm. the TV show, yeah. as a TV critic. And uh, Louis C.K. wrote him a letter that said, yeah. "Like, there's a fi- there's crew that depend, yeah, yeah, on this. There's people's livelihoods that de- yeah. actually depend on mm-hmm. this, uh, yeah." And you're ruining their life. This TV yeah. show. And it, you know, he's a TV critic for, out of Akron. And you're just some guy. Yeah. Just mm-hmm. some fucking guy with an opinion, you yeah. know? Yeah. I yeah. mean, I, I have thought about this a lot because, like, I used to do a lot of music writing, like music criticism. Yeah. And I, I did kind of enjoy taking people down a peg. Yeah. And now, as an, an older person, I'm like, why? That was just schadenfreude because it's like, whatever, what, you know, the nice thing you do, it's still someone's dream that they're doing yeah and you don't need yeah. to really shit on them yeah because it's probably not going to work out anyway so you don't need to add to that right 
Yeah, no, it's true, and and also it might not be their fault. Yeah, yeah. it came out that well, way. Well, and it's it's one thing to have like creative and and constructive criticisms. Another thing, I, like I was in a band and we had we got a review, and she talked about how we looked, and right, she, yes. it literally had yeah. nothing to do That's with our music. Yeah. And she said that I looked like more than Frank Black than not. I remember, Ooh, okay. and I was like, oh, you little bitch. I was <laughs> Wait, so you mad. looked m- more like Frank. Black than not than not yeah so she she basically described every member of the band and how they looked and she's like bass player piano player Paco Romain looks more like Frank Black than not or something oh, like yeah that. can that be the name of the podcast yeah. now <laughs> yes I was so mad I was like oh yeah you know um, it's like what about the music yeah like describe the music yeah and and when we're in a different era too than uh, Robert Evans was in because chances are the critics back then were they had. They had to jump through some uh, some loophole or some. They had to be vetted. Some hoops, yeah. In order to get to be the guy from the New York Times or whatever, yeah. you had to probably have certain qualifications, right? Whereas now we're in this era where everybody's just got a website, and it's like, mm-hmm. wait, or you can it's medium like medium.com. You can write whatever the fuck you want, and oh, it's going to go online. Absolutely. And if you want to write for Paste Magazine or maybe even Rolling Stone, I think you just. Email the editor and be yeah. like, I have an idea for a story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and I hope that future generations will become more discerning about where the source of their information is. But yeah, one can hope. I, I don't have high hopes. But that's Or happen. what could happen is people will just ignore critics. I, I think I'm pretty much at the point. I used to read the AV Club all the time mm-hmm. because I thought almost every time I loved him. I loved yeah. Ebert also. Ebert overall, Yeah, when he liked something, I tended to like it, you yeah. know. Um, now I don't really feel like I identify with much out there and I just wait for friends, you know, mm-hmm. if a friend tells me you've got to see this movie, then I'll see it, you know, but mm-hmm. reading a review about it. Yeah. Well, AV club is pretty good at like going after stuff that deserves it yeah. and, and advocating for some things that yeah. are under the radar. The AV club review of this documentary is really good. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's really, it's That'd a really good read. Um, and they also do a, 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 a review of his memoir of the same okay. title, which cool. is also really good. I, I really don't know who could watch this and not like it. And, you know, I completely it's like, agree. And you don't like pretty things, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just like... Yeah, I, I was thinking of that vid- visual of like even when he's... There's a photo of him smoking and then you just see that wisp smoke. of smoke yeah. come up. This reminds me a little bit of also around this... A couple years later, that, that documentary about Dar- Henry Darger. Right. This also takes like some of his still photos right. or still imagery and like animates it. Oh yeah. I mean yeah. it's a big I think like like I said, I think this ushered in that whole style of mm-hmm. documentary filmmaking. Yeah, I think it's the first time I saw that technique really used in a documentary. Yeah. yeah. I mean even Ken Burns kinda used the Ken Burns technique thing of panning the slow across, pan, the slow so pan. But pan. this this made it a lot more int- I mean it's around this time period because we mentioned this already in a couple like we've done we just did home that documentary. Yeah, home and, movies, we, and we've yeah. and like ninety nine we did Hell House. Ninety nine two thousand was still that kind of documentary look where it was like long cuts, not a lot of edits, not a lot of information. Mm-hmm. And it was just what you saw in film. That's all they presented. And then around 2001, 2002... Kind of early Netflix, yeah. yeah. Early Netflix home delivery. Yeah, That's became this changed. new style of, that made it a lot more palatable for people, where I think a lot of people thought documentaries were what you saw in National Geographic mm-hmm. or PBS, yeah. you know, and it was boring and mm-hmm. informational. This so. is not boring by no. any stretch. I was a little bit... I hadn't seen it in a long time, and I started watching it last night, I'm like... 
Oh, I wonder if I wonder if I'm going to be a little bit bored by this because I've seen it before, and yeah. it was like all this shit. I totally forgot that he started yeah. as an actor. I forgot yeah. all the Ali McGraw stuff. It I works again the second so time around, third time around, whatever. I completely like, forgot about year. that murder. I oh, I know. Forgot I know. About yeah, that. that is. And the music, you know, what's that one piece they play? I think it's a French song. It's like. Oh, now we owe royalties on this podcast. Yeah, no, there we go. Did you? No, but it's like that's a song that I used to hear in the seventies. I haven't even thought about it. It's like it's all nostalgia. You know, it's just amazing. Yeah, and then at the end, there's a quick synopsis of the fact that he had a stroke in '98 while giving a toast to Wes Craven. Which is also amazing. That's and, awesome. And but so R. what R. I found out, I did a little digging a little bit more on it. What I found out is that he's in the hospital because mm-hmm. he had a, he had actually ended up having three strokes, oh, um, and he couldn't talk and he couldn't really move. And um, Sinatra had his fatal heart attack in the room like next to him. <laughs> Whoa! In the hospital what? at Sinai. Wow. Uh, here in L.A. Wow. and watching them remove his body. Sinatra's body from the room made him want to recover faster and get back to producing and just kind of get back to be able to move and talk again. Wow. So that's pretty in, that's a that's, pretty interesting. Sinatra a, plays a big role in this guy's he, life. It does. It's weird. Yeah, he does. Also, w- if I'm not mistaken, this is external from the movie, but I think that he was supposed to be at the party, the Sharon Tate party. That, oh, wow. That they all got at the that. dinner party? Yeah, and there is a little wow. bit of a Hollywood... Uh, cliche that if if all the people that were ah. supposed to be at the party that <laughs> night were there then there'd be no more people in hollywood right. so it might have been exaggeration but yeah. apparently uh, they were all hanging out at some restaurant earlier and everybody was invited and he just didn't go oh wow uh, yeah. and that's when the manson family yeah. killed people yeah yep yeah where is there the, were only four of them there where is that house um, part of la I just listened to a whole thing about it. I, th- I feel like it was in the Hollywood Hills, mm. Mulholland, kind of, maybe. Did you hear, like, a podcast talking about the murders? Yeah, fantastic podcast called it? You Must Remember This. Oh, yeah, the Karina yeah. Longworth one. Oh, it's That's so good. a great podcast. Yeah, there's, like, ten Definitely. episodes on it, and it's everything you would ever need to know about any of the people's remotely related. That's what oh. they mentioned, that Robert Evans is one of the people. Oh, wow. But a lot of people... Um, we're almost there. You know? I started listening to the all the blacklist ones she was doing. Yeah, all the stuff about the blacklist. She's it's great. A, have you heard that, Paco? I haven't. Definitely. Yeah, no. uh, you must remember this. This is definitely a yeah. good podcast to check out about film history. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that's awesome. Um, well, Henry. So, yeah. Thank you. Oh, absolutely. Thank Thanks for letting so me talk this. about this. Movie. Did I enjoy this? Conversation. Wait, <laughs> wait let you me bet your ass. Your ass I did. I did. <laughs> hey, George. Did you did you like the kid stays in a picture? Wait, wait. Let me do it this way. Uh, I'm going to direct to Henry. Henry, was the kid stays in a picture a great doc? You bet your ass it was. <laughs> I butchered and, that. And, and let's just take a second to be like, <laughs> like where where does Robin Robert Evans fit in a world where people look how many Twitter followers you have right. to know whether you're successful or not? Like, I just love the idea of him trying to wrap his head around that bullshit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or I've, maybe he'd embrace it. I I've don't know. Always he, I mean, he retweeted us. Yeah. So he doesn't know <laughs> right. what he's doing. Yeah. <laughs> My buddy and I... Loved this documentary so much when it first came out. I mean, he owned a copy of it, then I bought a copy of it. So just quickly, I started a film production company, a comedy film production company called Free Dirt, and we put together a pitch to get money that resembled the pitch that 
uh, Robert Evans did. So oh, yeah. my buddy came in, sat on a desk, and was like, "Hi," <laughs> uh, you know, and he talked about our film production oh, wow. company because we would send it to potential people yeah. who could send us money. Yeah. yeah, that is a great. We have to use the audio from that clip. When oh he's yeah, talking. It's great. He's trying to convince Paramount that or the G, the GW people that he's, yeah. the Gulf and Western people yeah. that he's not wasting their money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Robert, Mr. Evans, dear Mr. Evans, if you're listening to this, uh, George Henry and I would like to uh, like to buy you a drink or hang Wait, out. George Henry. George oh, oh, I Henry see. Tama. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like a famous old it actor. Does. It, it does. <laughs> I worked with George Henry. George, yeah. uh, the pictures George Henry <laughs> made. I tell you what, whatever uh, you want, cranberry juice, whatever. Yeah, you want it, yeah, whatever you need. But uh, so people, so we you, can drink some Francis Ford Coppola wine together. Oh right. yeah. If you, uh, for our listeners, check out Henry's uh, neither here nor there his comedy special. Yeah, which you can find on iTunes, uh, uh, Vimeo, Vimeo. And if you go to my, if you go to henryphillips.com, you can find out anything you need to know about me including the special and um but see this movie if you want to escape watching the news for a little while you want to return to a fascinating time in our history that wasn't so far away but feels like it might as well have been you know it's yeah it's really great you can buy some purple glasses and watch it and that learn way. something let's let's bring back that time in hollywood where it was all about adventure and taking risks and putting stuff out there and uh, dating instead of just uh, you know counting the the pros and cons, you know. Amen. Mm-hmm. Well said. Thank you, Henry. All right. Thanks a lot. Thanks, guys. You can find episodes of Subdoc on iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Please subscribe, review, and rate. For show notes and more information about George and Paco's appearances, visit subdocpodcast.com. You can send your corrections, questions, or comments to subdocpodcast at gmail.com. We'd also like to thank Documentary News for their continued support. Please check out documentarynews.com. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at subdocpodcast. This show is produced by Will Scoville and our theme music by David Siegel.